I tell you, how about that choir today? Didn't they do great? And what about the message? That old message. The rock of ages. You know, we may fall. He never will fall. He will always stand. Gosh, you did a great job today. But congregation, how about you singing today? Oh, wasn't it great? It is great to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to turn this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. I love the book of Thessalonians. It is one of the most positive books in the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes to this young church and commends them greatly for their love and for their faith and for their work. There's hardly a word of condemnation. It is basically positive all the way through. I just love the book of 1 Thessalonians. So with your Bibles open to chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 1. In a final thought, as I said this morning, I want to say again, when the Apostle Paul writes, and he uses the word, finally, don't believe it. He's not through. He has a whole lot more to say. But he says, as a final thought, brethren, and then brethren means that he's talking to you and me, to the church, to those believers in Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And then he says, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk or live and please God just as you actually do live, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Now as to the love of the brethren, all of us. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another for indeed you do practice this love toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Would you join me as we pray? Oh, God and Father, thank you for the time of worship that we have had this morning. Thank you for the joyful praise, 
lifting up your name and being reminded that you are the great rock of ages. And we can stand on you because you never fall. You will always stand. And God, when we question sometimes, as Mary sang, why would God reach down and save somebody like me? The answer will always be because you love the world so much that you gave your son that we can have eternal life. Thank you for all of these that are here this morning. Open our minds, open our hearts, that we may be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sean Connery starred in the 2003 movie entitled The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, this was a group of people with extraordinary powers that were called together to stop a mastermind criminal who was bent on starting a world war and destroying the world. And this group of extraordinary people were brought together so that the world would not be destroyed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God calls believers, Christians, to come together in a life of spiritual excellence. The word that is translated in verse 1 and verse 10, excel, actually means to abound or superabound or to be filled with full quantity. This is what God wants for all of us. In fact, some forms of the word means extraordinary or surpassing. You see, friends, we are called to rise above the world, to come up and away from the world, to be different, to live differently, to surpass ordinary expectations, or to be extraordinary in our living. The great Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that we are to excel or to be extraordinary in living the Christian life. Now, power for this life and for this living does not come from ourselves. It is not something that we can think to happen. It is not something that we can will to happen. It comes from the Holy Spirit that God puts within us. And so this extraordinary living comes from the Holy Spirit, as verse says, that has been given to us and dwells in us. Now, friends, I want you to understand that I sincerely believe that we do not have enough teaching in our church today about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is here for and why he indwells us. But one thing we must grasp, that in the Christian life, the Spirit of God dwells in us and gives us extraordinary power to live differently in this world and to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. Look at first at the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19 and following, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power 
that works in us. Now, what is it that God wants to do? If you look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, very simply, God wants to save the world. Sometimes I don't know if we have fully grasped that. He wants to save our families. He wants to save our friends and our neighbors. God is interested in bringing the entire world into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here in the fourth chapter of Thessalonians, Paul says to us, we need to get it done. God is dependent on us to do it. And like the movie, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they faced a powerful enemy that wanted to destroy the world. We also face a very powerful mastermind of evil who wants to see the world destroyed who wants to see our lives destroyed, who wants to see our marriages destroyed, who wants to see our testimony destroyed, who wants to see our churches destroyed. But God has chosen us. God has called us as his church to rise above the world, the thinking of the world and the ways of the world, to be an instrument of God. And he has given us extraordinary power to bring this world to the salvation of God. He has called us to be a league of extraordinary Christians or believers. Now, I want to point out, first of all today, that this extraordinary living is a call to live in holiness. You ever consider yourself holy? Do you ever have difficulty with a passage? or a word, or a requirement given to us in scriptures? Well, sometimes I think that we, we say to ourselves, well, that's a little much. God, we say, I, I, that's just a little much for you expect that of me. And so I'm just going to sort of hide that from my view and hide it from practice. In fact, I'm going to block it out altogether, and I'm just going to say, I'm not going to read that part. You ever have those days? Well, friends, just when I think I've got it together and I'm on top of it and me and God are just like that. I pull up to a traffic light, and I've done this in the last couple of weeks, waiting for the light to turn green. And just the second it turns green, this guy, two or three cars behind me, guns it, pulls over in the turning lane and pulls in front of me, cuts me off and goes through the light before me. I don't feel very holy at that moment. <laughs> in fact, I want to step on it and speed up and catch that guy and get in front of him and stop him and pull out my cell phone and call the sheriff's department and demand that they come and give him a ticket. You know, the truth is, not one of us here today is holy. Not a one of us is holy. And yet the Bible says that we need to exemplify this extraordinary power in our daily living. That's what a walk is referring to. Moving. The Bible often refers to our living as a walk or a journey, and the goal of that walk, the goal of that living, the goal of that journey is sanctification, 
to be holy. The word means set apart for God or made holy or as we should understand it, being made holy. It is a movement. It is to move toward God for God's purpose and God's use. But it is a walk. It is a process. And the Apostle Paul wrote here in the second chapter of Thessalonians, for this reason, verse 13, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And friends, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Taking the Word of God and causing it to work in us, providing this extraordinary power to be used of God. And verse 4, Paul says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification or your becoming holy. To be holy and to honor God. Now let me ask you something. Why does God call us? Why does God want us to come out of and away from the life and the lifestyle that we once had? In verse 1, the Apostle Paul says very simply, so that we can live before God and please Him with our living. And as this passage teaches, to be an instrument that Christ can use to save our family, our friends, and our associates. Well, if that's the case, if that's what God wants, and, and we have responded to God in salvation, why are more people, why are more of our family and our friends and our associates not coming to church, not coming to Jesus Christ and being saved? Well, I want to give you two reasons this morning. The first one is we have an opposing enemy. And just like the neglect of teaching on the Holy Spirit, we also neglect in our churches to teach people about the enemy that opposes God, Satan. We fail to teach that at every angle in life, at every stage of life, we have an opposing enemy who is out to destroy us who is out to destroy our testimony, who is out to destroy our lives. He is a mastermind. He wants to see our family destroyed. He wants to see our friends destroyed. He wants to see the world destroyed. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And friends, let me tell you, he will hinder us from speaking to those around us. He will throw every roadblock in the way that he can to prevent us from doing and saying the things that we need to do and say to win people to Christ. He is a powerful enemy. Peter wrote that he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, friends, Satan does not want God to win, and Satan does not want us to win. He is an opposing enemy. But not only do we have an opposing enemy, we have an opposing lifestyle. 
And this is part of the work of the enemy. You see, friends, God speaks to us. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us in prayer. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to take the word of God and show us what it is that God expects from us and how God wants us to live. But I want to tell you that not only does God speak to us, Satan speaks to us. In the book of 1 John, John warned to test the spirits to see if they are from God. And then he says, there are some who will deceive you. And you see, friends, Satan speaks to us. He often whispers in our ear, saying things like, being a Christian does not mean that you have to change the way you live or the way you talk or the way you act. But here's the truth. The Bible calls Satan a liar and a deceiver. And so if those thoughts are going through our mind that we don't have to live in a changed life, understand that's not from God. That's not God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and what God expects of us, and He speaks them to us so that we can move toward God. God has called us to rise above the world, to live in the extraordinary power of holiness, And verse verse 8 says that when we reject that way of living, we are rejecting God. We are rejecting the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We are opposing God just like the enemy does. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and works it in our heart and moves us ever toward God, toward God holy living but listen when we reject the holy spirit when we reject what god is trying to teach us we are opposing god and we're opposing what god wants for us william hazlitt a unitarian philosopher and writer who was famous for his humanistic views and writings said the soul of a journey is liberty, perfect liberty, to think, feel, do, just as one pleases. That pretty well sums up the attitude of the world, even in church. To live to please ourselves, our desires and our thoughts. And I want to tell you, friends, that is a trap of the enemy that will take us away from God and thus reject and oppose God. These verses that are before us are pointing this kind of lifestyle out, living in opposition to God. And what is God's will? It is holiness. And this is what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 5, excuse me, says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite 
of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you do not do the things that you are called to do or the good intentions that you have. In reading different parts of Scripture, you will find that in different areas and different societies, there is sins or sometimes a prominent sin that permeates that area of society. And the Apostle Paul here identifies the great sin of the Greek world, and that is immorality. And I want to tell you, friends, 2,000 years later, how bad it has gotten in our society in immorality. It is sickening. It is disgusting, it is horrible, and it is an opposition to God. Billy Graham once said that if God did not judge the United States, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The point that the Apostle Paul is really making is that sin and sinful living is all around us, a world with no limitations, living as we please, gratifying every lustful desire is opposite and rejects God. But God has called us to live in the extraordinary power of holiness. Not our power, but the power of the Holy Spirit to live and work in us moving us toward God, toward holiness, so that the world can be one to Jesus Christ. Secondly, this extraordinary living is a call to live in harmony. Look again at verse 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you and me, we're the church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You have no need for anyone to write you about this because you're taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice this love toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, dear believers, dear brothers and sisters, that you excel still more. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity of going to a concert where there's a full orchestra. And I've been to one, and when they warm up, and they come out and they warm up, each instrument is warming up in the different tune that they are supposed to make. That's the most awful sound in the world. But friends, when that conductor stands before them, and he brings every instrument in where it is supposed to be, that is beautiful music. That is harmony. Harmony has to do with how we get along in church. Just like an orchestra, there are many instruments, and each one makes a different sound. But when they come together, that's beautiful music. Now, holiness and love are intertwined because love comes from the same character of God. And Paul uses two words in verse 9 for love. The first one is transliterated, transliterated from the Greek word Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. But the second word is that great Greek word agape, 
godly love. It is a love that can only come from God, a love that only comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, God himself has taught us to love one another. How did he do that? Jesus' own word said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another and the world will know by this love that you are my disciples, that you are my church, that you are different from the world. Love is part of holy living. God's love poured out in us by the Holy Spirit. That causes us to get along with one another to produce beautiful music, beautiful works. Brotherly love is used because we belong to one another as his church, as his body. Note the symbolism that in the human body, as different as it can be from night and day, our hands and feet are different, and each one has a function. And when each one does its function and works together, the body moves, and it moves correctly. And friends, that's the way the church is supposed to be. And sometimes in church, we'll tell people, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to do this. Some may be gifted to do all those things. Most of us are not gifted to do everything in the church. And sometimes we've got an arm over here trying to do the work of a foot over here. And sometimes we may have a hand back here that is trying to do the work of the nose. And it just doesn't get along that way. And you see, we get along as we understand that we're part of the same body, but each of us have a function. And when we come together and work together and get along, that's harmony. And these Christians, Paul said, already practiced that love. They already were in love with each other. But Paul said, you need to increase that love. You see, if there's anything that we ever need in the church, it's more love. We need to increase that they excel or become extraordinary in love, in that agape love in verse 10, superabound in love. Love is how the church gets along, and it sends a powerful message to the world. Now, why does the Bible talk so much about love? Because, friends, godly love is not the natural thing. Our fallen nature puts self first. It's what I want. Back in the Garden of Eden, Satan did not tempt Eve to think of others. He tempted her to think only of herself, and that's the essence of sin, promoting self. It's my way. It's my thoughts. It's my views. But Christ brought a whole new way of thinking and living to think of others, to love with a godly love that only the Holy Spirit can pour out into our hearts. 
And that is how the church is supposed to live. When the Holy Spirit controls us, when the Holy Spirit fills us, we get along with an extraordinary or superabounded love. That's harmony. Thirdly, this extraordinary living is a call to live in honesty. I want you to look at verse 11 and verse 12. Part of verse 11 goes with verse 10. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You see, when you're living in harmony, when you're getting along, there's not going to be a lot of turbulence, not going to be a lot of infighting, and there's going to be a quietness of life in Christ. But then the rest of this verse says, and attend to your own business. And work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders. And the word that is used in verse 12 is properly translated in the King James Version, honestly. Get along in honesty. The same word is translated in 1 Corinthians 14.40 as decently. You see, the church is supposed to act decently. Why? Because we love each other, but there's another reason. Because we have a witness to those who are outside the church. And that's the emphasis here. It is on the believer's witness to those outside the Christian fellowship, outside the Christian faith. And if the world is ever going to be changed, if the world is ever going to be saved from destruction, it is going to take believers living and rising above the ways of the world. Honesty is an extraordinary power. Now, there's a lot of things that I despise in life, but there's two things that rise to the top. One of them is stealing. I just can't stand a thief. And I look at it this way, if it's mine, keep your hands off of it. It does not belong to you. Do not try to take it. But the other one is lying. I cannot stand for somebody to lie to me. Tell me what you're going to tell me. Hit me in the face. Don't lie to me. You see, when somebody tells me they're going to do something, I expect it to be done. If I call somebody to come and do something and they say I'll be there at this time, they better be there at that time or on their cell phone calling me, telling me why they can't be there at that time. I cannot stand deceit. I cannot stand dishonesty. And God has called us to live in honesty because the world watches the church, watches you and me, to see if what we say we believe is real and lived out with the world around us. Now, there were two great problems facing these Christians here in Thessalonica, and these problems face us as well. The first one is the world's beliefs or philosophies. And you look back at verse 11. In the Greek world, people had grown to despise work. Work was done by slaves. And people basically lived by the Epicurean philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry. In modern words, every day is a party. Let somebody else do the work. 
Now that sounds like the world that we live in. Let somebody else do the work. These new believers had come out of the world and out of that philosophy and belief. But they still had to battle the old way of thinking in the world, just like we do. And Paul was warning them about the witness they had to those non-believers. Listen, friends, the world may believe a certain way. The world may say, this is all right, that's all right. And friends, that doesn't make it right. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we need to come away from what the world thinks and the ways of the world because a Christian is called to live extraordinarily above the world. And again, that can only come from the Holy Spirit. We have to rise above the thoughts and the practices of the world around us. But not only the world's beliefs, but their own beliefs. And specifically here was the belief concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And you read in verse 13 and following through the end of this chapter, you're going to find that it talks about the teaching of the coming of Jesus Christ. They taught and believed, as we should, that Christ is coming any moment. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that Christ could come before I'm through with this message. I believe that Christ is coming. He could come before this day is over. Christ is coming any moment. And every moment that we live, we can see it moving closer. And it could happen any time. We should believe that. We should teach that. But they were missing something that we often miss as well. Until he comes. We are to live, and we are to work. And along with the teaching that Christ could come any moment, we can't stop working in the church or in our daily lives because this is the danger. The danger if you stop working is you become lazy and you become dysfunctional. You become a busybody tending to everybody else's business. Paul is saying that's what the world looks like out there. That's how the world acts. That's how the world lives. And we're different from that. And we've come out of that. And so take care that you live honestly, that you not only say you believe, but you live what you believe with the world outside. Our belief sometimes affect us in a way negatively toward the world, and that's not what God intends. We can't stop working. We can't tend to everybody's business. That's the way of the world. So live in honesty. The world watches us to see if what we live out is what we say we believe. Our calling is to live extraordinary lives. Now, I'm sure that most of us are thinking, well, I can't live up to that. And friends, you're right. You can't live up to that, and I can't live up to that. I don't know how many times lately I have reminded people, including and especially myself, 
that it is not about me. It is not about you. But it is about what the Holy Spirit can do. And when we fully understand and grasp the indwelling Spirit of God, we no longer can say, I can't. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things that God wants us to do. And God has called us to live extraordinary lives so that our family and our friends, our associates, can see the difference in us so they can be saved from destruction. Would you pray with me? Oh, God and Father, we are grateful for the day, for the opportunity to open your word, to preach it, teach it, and to understand it. And I pray that you would sink it deep into our hearts. God, I pray right now that if there are those this morning who have never made a commitment to Christ, and as your Holy Spirit is dealing with them, saying to them, I want you to have this extraordinary life, but it can only be found in Jesus Christ. I pray that you urge and encourage them to come and give their life to Christ. Or maybe there's someone here that is a believer. And you're saying to them this morning, I want you to excel even more in the Christian life. Maybe there are those, Father, that you want, that you're begging, that you're pleading with their heart just to come and kneel at this altar and spend a little time worshiping you. Perhaps, Father, there are those that need to move their membership here to become a part of this fellowship of believers on task and for the purpose that you have called us in this world. I pray for that. Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be waiting for you this morning as we stand and sing hymn number 321.
to thank you for being here today and for the opportunity to be able to preach. Brother Richard will be back tonight in the time of fellowship uh, for an abbreviated message. It's the, the purpose is fellowship. The purpose is to bring us together and enjoy. You know, church, by understanding and definition in the New Testament, is a fellowship of believers. And so we come together. Of course, Eden's part of that. We're Baptists, and so come tonight and enjoy all of that fellowship together. Thank you so much for being here. Who's supposed to pray? Okay. Oh, okay. Would you lead us in our closing prayer and pray for our offering as well? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here to this great church with this amazing group of extraordinary Christians. Uh, we pray that you would guide us as we go about our week, guide our minds, guide our hearts, help us to be a light and an inspiration for those around us, Lord. We pray that you would bless this offering and that you would use it to further your kingdom and give us the means, as you always do, to replace the sound system and use that to further your kingdom, Father. pray that you would be with us as we go about our week and continue to bless us and be with us every day. In Jesus' name I pray.